This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciences. I'm Siobhan Watson. And I'm Emilio Bovale. Tonight, we get updates on two major issues happening in our country. First, we will speak with Lehua Lopez, a Native Hawaiian cultural anthropologist, who will share how we can help protect Mauna Kea. Then, Garav Laroya, Senior Policy Counsel for Free Press, will break down the recent federal court decision on net neutrality. As we learn about these topics tonight, it is important to remind you that this program is broadcast on stolen indigenous land. As always, we have some fun calendar announcement. And to start us off with some great tunes is our music host for tonight, Carlos Martinez. Thank you, Emilio. I'm Carlos Martinez, and I'll be your music host for the evening. First up, we have the song Home in the Islands by the Casimiro Brothers. This song was chosen for its beautiful and peaceful melody. Roads gone far away from home, and we've been lonely. Miss you only when we are away. A sunny day is not quite the same as the ocean blue. At home in the islands, at home in the islands, at home. Mauna Kea is a sacred mountain in Hawaii where native Hawaiians and activists have been peacefully resisting the building of the TMT or 30 meters telescope. For the past 13 weeks, protectors have remained camped on site protecting their traditional lands through Hawaiian prayer, songs, and dances. Now GJ youth producer Junko Featherston speaks with Lahua Lopez, a cultural anthropologist who teaches Hawaiian culture in Albuquerque who shares work she is doing to protect Mauna from Albuquerque. This is Junko Featherston with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Native Hawaiian cultural anthropologist Lehua Lopez. Miss Lopez was born and raised in Hawaii. She has been researching Hawaiian culture in depth for over 40 years, and is very respected in Hawaii as well as in New Mexico. It is an honor being here with you tonight, Lehua. Welcome to Generation Justice. Oh, it's an absolute thrill and an honor for me to be here with all of you. <laughs> so please share with us more about yourself and the ways that you research and honor your Hawaiian heritage. It's very critical for me as a Hawaiian elder to be able to continue my connections with my culture and with people, my family, and others in the islands. Uh, the issue of Mauna Kea is extremely important to me because it is the, the bedrock of our culture in many ways. For instance, Mauna Kea is a sacred mountain. The word Mauna actually means mountain in Hawaiian. But Mauna Kea is also known as Mauna Awakea, Wakea being the deity of one of the deities of the cosmos or the sky. It is, he is also the consort and the partner of Papa, that is the name of, our, of one of our deities for the earth as a mother. So Papa and Wakea, we believe, reside at the top of Mauna Kea. Mauna Kea is also significant 
culturally for us because it is the highest point in the Pacific. It is the largest shield volcano on the entire planet and rises more than 32,000 feet from the ocean floor. More than 13,000 feet exist above the surface of the water so that it is the highest point in the Pacific that touches the sky. But the plumbing of that volcano, the conduits of that volcano, extend all the way to the center of the earth. It is an umbilical cord that connects us with the center of the earth up to the sky. That kind of connection is critical for us as, a, as an ocean people. And it is also the connection to our ancestors and the connection to our families and the connection to who we are as humans and the connections to how we live on this planet. It is sacred to us because of that connection to the center of the earth going up to the sky and the connections that make up the entire island itself because the island is our aina. Aina is the Hawaiian word for land, translated as that which feeds us. So if you can imagine land as being that which feeds us and the connections of the plumbing of the volcano to the sky and the ocean and the land and the planet, it's very important to us. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you. So the studio uh, Kalakapu has organized in solidarity to protect the sacred Mauna Kea. What does the Mauna mean to Native Hawaiian peoples? The Mauna is that connection that is now threatened by development. Now, the issue is often posed by Western media as science versus spirituality because the TMT, the 30-meter telescope, is not as benign as it sounds. 30 meters is actually more than 95 feet. We're talking about a mirror, a telescope mirror, more than 95 feet in diameter, being placed at the top of an 18-story building, which will make it the tallest building on the island. And the other buildings built to support this one will cover more than six acres with steel, glass, concrete, and asphalt, including a power station that will generate more electricity than all the other 13 telescopes now at the top of the summit, which makes this an industrial complex built at the top of a sacred mountain that's going to cost more than $1.4 billion and is being supported financially by more than four nations. For Native Hawaiians, it is the culmination. It is one of those keystone issues that posit Native beliefs and Native needs against those who use it for their own purposes. And of course, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to make a lot of money from building this telescope. Yeah, this whole project sounds quite intrusive. 
Um, with that being said, uh, what are the connections between the threats to Mauna Kea and other indigenous lands or sacred sites? Like all the other sacred site issues around the world, it's a conflict between what Western people believe is necessary for them to do in their worldview of using the land and using water and using ocean for their own particular purposes as against those who still see the earth as a home, as a place where we have to be able to live in harmony with our land, our waters, and the things that grow on it. What is happening here in Albuquerque to support the efforts to protect the mountain? Uh, we're going to be holding a fundraiser on Friday, December the 6th, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Rio Bravo Brewing Restaurant and Grill to raise money not only to protect Mauna Kea, but also to share the profits with the Boys and Girls Club of Albuquerque because they want to take students, elementary school children, from Albuquerque to Kauai next year, May. It's a winner all the way around for all of us. So where can people go to find more info about the fundraiser? The information will be on Kala Kapu website. Kala Kapu is a Polynesian dance school here in Albuquerque. You can Google it, and we'll have more information about that fundraiser there. Three hours of live Hawaiian music, live hula. What more can you ask for? So earlier you mentioned this uh, magma source, um, sort of this powerful entity for the whole mana itself. Can you um, explain more about that? Yes. This plumbing actually feeds five volcanoes. There are five volcanoes that make up what we call Hawaii Island or what other people, the tourists call the big island because you can put all the other islands on and you still have land left over. This plumbing supports Kilauea volcano, which has been erupting since January 3rd, 1983. And of course, I'm sure all of you, all of you, your listeners heard about the eruption in Lower Puna, in the district of Lower Puna last summer that lasted for four months, as well as the volcano of Hualalai, and of course, the volcano of Mauna Loa, which is only a few hundred feet lower than Mauna Kea, and the extinct volcano Kohala. All of this plumbing is connected to the center of the earth. And because of that connection, we as an ocean people see ourselves as living on the peaks of the connection to the center of the earth and the peaks that reach up to the very sky itself. Thank you. It's quite sad that a lot of people don't know the rich history and culture behind the Mauna. Yes. And the people of Hawaii in regards to what they're feeling, their history, their culture, and, and their backstory. So, we, um, we have been opposing telescope building since 1972. <laughs> There's a big headline on a newspaper in 1972 by the mayor of Hilo, which is the largest city on the island, that said, pimples on the mountain is nothing we want. So what is the most important message that you would like our listeners to hear tonight? The message is one of connection. It's not, a, 
not only the connection of Native Hawaiians to their own aina, to their own land, and to the ocean, but it's also the connections we make with other Native peoples around the world because we need allies. Every issue that pits Western development against sacred sites is an issue that we are all connected to. We need you as allies. We need you as people who can help us protect what is sacred to us. And we will help you protect what is sacred to you. Thank you, Lehua. Um, Can you please tell us again about the details regarding the event you're hosting? That's going to be on Friday, December the 6th, from 6 to 9 p.m. at Rio Bravo Brewing. Three hours of live Hawaiian music with a, let me get this right, a dip thing where you put your card into (laughs) to donate an amount. And we'll also have a silent auction, and we will also have other kinds of things for sale. Right. Is there anything else you would like to add, Ms. Lehua? Yes, I want to thank Kateri Zuni, and I want to thank all the students here who uh, work so hard to put on this radio show. It is such a pleasure and an honor to be with all of you. Well... Thank you, Lehua Lofus, for sharing your wisdom and rich culture with us tonight. Uh, for Generation Justice, I'm Junko Featherston. Thank you, Lehua, for sharing your wisdom and educating us about Hawaii and the current events that are going on. Thank you so much for your time and your words about the deep cultural meaning of Mauna Kea and the conflict that is going on there. Now, here is Beauty of Mauna Kea by Casimiro Brothers, a song chosen by your guest, Lahua. Followed by We Are Mauna Kea Part 2 by Sons of Yeshua, Kapu Aloha. I chose this last song because the message is very important and inspiring. It is about protecting the sacred Mauna Kea. Free Press was created as a platform to fight for racial justice through equitable access to technology. They use activism, advocacy on issues like net neutrality to fight for everyone's right to connect and communicate. Gaurav Layora is a senior policy counsel for Free Press. Gaurav has worked for the ACLU and the Government Accountability Project, protecting the rights of national security whistleblowers. Youth producer Liam Paul speaks with Gaurav Laroya about the recent federal court decision on net neutrality. This is Liam Paul with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Gaurav Laroya, Senior Policy Counsel with Free Press, a policy and advocacy group 
focusing on communication rights and access. Gaurav, thanks for being on. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So could you please uh, share with us more about yourself and the work uh, you're doing with Free Press? Uh, sure, yes. I'm a senior policy counselor here, as you said, working on issues like Internet privacy, net neutrality, um, fighting against government surveillance, and really um, I and everyone else at Free Press are trying to make sure that our rights to connect and communicate freely and openly and affordably um, are protected, and part of that is making sure that net neutrality rules um, are reinstituted at the federal level and, and other places as well. All right, thank you. Can you tell us more about the history of the most recent lawsuit uh, against the FCC and who the major players are? Sure. So the most recent lawsuit was called Mozilla versus FCC, and it started because um, you know the, the original net neutrality rules were were passed in, in by Tom Wheeler's FCC during the Obama administration in 2015. These were the strongest, uh, best of rules for protecting. Um, net neutrality and, and and the idea that you should be able to get the information of your choosing um, without getting encumbered or, or blocked or anything by your ISP. You know, they should be as neutral a conduit for information as possible. So then in 2016, the D.C. Circuit Court, the same court that just heard this case, said that the Title II rules are, are legal, constitutional. They, the FCC was, was right to apply them, um, and that it was totally within their authority to do so. So then, of course, we have the election and a new FCC chair under Chairman Ajit Pai, and the chairman made it. The new chairman made it clear that undoing these net neutrality rules uh, was a major priority for his FCC, and the um, the FCC wiped away the 2015 rules. It said that. Internet service providers or broadband internet providers are not telecommunication carriers, and in fact, the FCC has no ability to regulate them at all. So we, uh, the FCC kind of wiped its hands and said, you know, with, when it comes to things like uh, making sure they don't block your information, don't throttle your speeds, don't overcharge you, guess what? The FCC can't do anything about it because broadband ISPs are no longer regulated uh, basically at all, by the FCC. So once that rule came out, um, a, lot of, a lot of groups, um, including um, companies like Mozilla and groups like um, Free Press and a whole host of others, came in and tried to sue the FCC for undoing the 2015 rules. And our argument was that the FCC can't just undo rules because they feel like they, you know, they woke up that side of the bed that day and decided that they didn't like the 2015 order. Um, <laughs> there's a right, yeah. There's a principle in kind of the way agencies work that their decisions have to be based on like, reasonable decision making, based on evidence. You know, they have to have a reason for doing the things that they're doing, and it has to fundamentally make sense. Hmm. So, um, so we, you know, we didn't think the repeal of the net neutrality rules passed that test. So, you know, here we are in the D.C. Circuit. Um, making that argument and the FCC making the argument that like, hey, actually, you know, we're in charge here and we're allowed to do what we want. And we think that the, the previous regime having no regulation here at all is, is fine with us. Um, and we think it'll, the FCC thinks it'll be better for Americans. And obviously we disagree. So then earlier this month, the DC Circuit came out with its opinion, a unanimous three judge opinion. So this, this was actually the mixed bag here. So 
they said that because of Supreme Court precedent on the question of how Internet service providers can be classified by the FCC, the judges felt that their hands were totally tied, that that because of what the Supreme Court has said previously, even though some of the judges said they don't think the decision the FCC made um, makes sense, they have almost literally said that um, in the decision, that their hands are tied by what the Supreme Court has said about um, what kind of discretion the FCC has in making its rules. So, so they said, you know, just as we said that the FCC could protect net neutrality, if the FCC wants to, it cannot protect net neutrality. So that is the, you know, the downside of this case. But the very interesting and uh, I think very important upside is the court also said that, okay, FCC, you're saying that you have no power to regulate broadband ISPs. Part of that means you also can't tell the states what to do when they want to protect their state citizens and protect their rights to connect online. The court um, cleared the way basically entirely for the states to go step in and protect their citizens however they see fit. And so that's why we've seen people, you know, in, in California, mostly other states, Vermont, you know, kind of celebrating this case because it said that, you know, if the federal government, if the FCC doesn't want to protect people's rights here, the states are allowed to do it and, and you know, cleared the way for them to do that. So, you know, I think that's where we we're going to see a lot of the fight next. Can you explain the difference between the Title I and II uh, regulations and how, why that's important? So there are these two categories um, and then some nuances uh, as well with how the Communication Act kind of classifies things. But Title I information services are basically websites like Facebook.com, whatever else, just places where you get information. And those entities are basically unregulated by the FCC, right? The FCC can't tell your random website what to do or how it should operate. And, and you know, that makes sense because those are, those are just information services. Your Title II protected things are things like the phone system, right, which basically no one disputes is meant to be a neutral pathway just to get information, right? Kind mm-hmm. of, it's a thing you use to access information services. And so what this FCC argued is that there's no difference between Facebook.com and your ISP, which, you know, when you try to unpack it, doesn't really quite make much sense, right? Your internet service provider is a thing that you use to get to websites. But the FCC here is arguing that there's no difference between a website and the thing you use to get to a website. That is the place we're now in. So that's why there's really no ability to protect the neutrality because the FCC says, just like we can't tell your random website what to do on anything, we can't tell your internet, your broadband internet service provider to do anything. Hmm. So besides um, the legal argument of whether or not they have the power to, what's the FCC's um, reasoning for repealing those regulations in the first place? Uh, so... The FCC argued that um, it's bad for uh, broadband investment to claim that uh, free press has, you know, we have the numbers and show that's not true. But they, the FCC asserted um, with some very weak numbers that, you know, broadband investment went down because of the you know, regulatory burden of adhering to net neutrality. Pi's FCC had a vision that, you know, without any rules that, you know, magically Internet access will become cheaper companies without having to worry about these rules will start building out in places that they've never built out before. And and frankly, a lot of claims that 
we think have been thoroughly debunked. Prices are continuing to go up. People are getting worse service for, for what they're paying for their internet access. And these companies aren't choosing to build in places that are difficult. You know, that means making it affordable for people in cities to afford broadband access or out in you know, rural America where they're choosing not to build um, you know, wires out there at all. Um, so you know, the, the F- it, it is kind of hard to explain, but yeah, the FCC has this idea that without rules, there'll just be this kind of massive flourishing of, of broadband access for everyone. And you know, we, we crunched the numbers, we didn't see it, we haven't seen it, and that policy, frankly, um, you know, really, I don't think makes sense to us. They think that the companies themselves, because of bad press, are going to make sure that people still can connect freely without blocking content to the internet. We, you know, I don't think that's true. I think if companies are going to find a way to maximize their profits, and if that comes at the expense of their customers being able to access the open internet, then they'll do it. And now they have the green light to act that way if they want to. Thank you. Uh, along the same lines about uh, about the actual effect that net neutrality regulation um, repeal is going to have, what are going to be the racial and economic justice implications of rolling them back? Without anyone overseeing these companies, which is basically where we're at now, you know, there's there are important efforts to make sure that internet access is affordable. For example, there's important efforts to make sure that you know, people are, are able to access the internet at affordable rates without um, the FCC being able to enforce those provisions. There's really these companies are able to raise prices, degrade service in ways that have actually um, really deleterious impacts on the kinds of communities you're talking about. Hmm. Um, Commissioner Rosenworcel, who's a huge champion of this really, uh, she says it right, I think she talks about the, like, the homework gap, which means that, you know, poor people, if they can't afford um, internet access, you know, can't, you know, fully participate in school, people can't apply for jobs, or they've just got, you know, they can only afford a mobile connection on their phone, and you can imagine someone trying to do job applications to try to get ahead just on their phone because fixed broadband access in your home is too expensive. You know, we've heard stories about kids parking um, outside McDonald's because there's free Wi-Fi there mm. at night so they can get their homework done. I mean, that's a, that's a massive economic and social justice issue. Then there's also the, the worry that we have about Internet access being and Internet organizing being so critical to movements today. And, and when you now have these giant companies, AT&T, Comcast, Verizon, sitting between you and the wider Internet, now with the ability to block your access to certain websites, if they choose, then, you know, let's say we're organizing to, you know, do something about a practice um, that one of these companies is doing, you know, they have the ability to shut down your access to the Internet tomorrow under these rules. And I think they have no business doing that, and that's why the old rules, the Title II rules, are so important because people need to have the right to access the open Internet, and, and the, the provider shouldn't have any say in, you know, what kind of websites you visit or what you get to do um, on the Internet either. All right. Thank you. What can people do on the community and grassroots level to uphold uh, net neutrality protections? Sure. So, so like I said, fortunately, with this decision, we are still fighting for the federal government to, to pass uh, rules that reinstate um, net neutrality at the federal level. So, um, you know, one, I think people should contact their federal um, elected officials um, and say they should 
passed the Save the Net Act, which passed the House of Representatives and has yet to pass the Senate, but that's something we're pushing for. At a local level, since the court cleared the way for local action, people should also be talking to their, their local politicians. You know, there are plenty of cities have signed a pledge to say that, you know, they're going to do what they can to make sure people have affordable internet access, that, that the cities themselves, some are trying to build um, municipal networks with, with varying degrees of success because of the, the regulatory environment there. But the states right now are kind of have become central in this fight since they have the ability now to pass net neutrality legislation um, without the federal government getting in the way. So organizing there, making sure that your representatives in the state actually know that this is an issue um, of, of real importance to these communities and to themselves is, I think, where a lot of that kind of organizing should take place. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that can be done at the local and state level to protect net neutrality. And it's a matter of making sure your local representatives, your cities, your towns, and your states, um, the people representing those places know that you care about the issue. Hmm. So as we uh, begin this kind of new phase of organizing in that case, uh, where can people go to get more information on the issue and uh, what is going to be happening next? Oh, sure. So, you know, obviously, I think freepress.net is a great resource for what's going on. Um, I believe Save the Internet um, website is also still up. I recommend Free Press as a resource on these issues. It's it's something I was looking at and reading um, even before I started working in this organization. I mean, you've got a whole host of experts here keeping an eye on all of these developments, and I think they should definitely avail themselves of of those kinds of resources. And Free Press's Twitter account is a great place to start, and through that you'll see um, voices of people uh, all across this fight um, lifted up through our through our accounts there, and also the voices of the people working at the organization on their specific topics like affordability, like privacy, like surveillance, like reinstating net neutrality. So um, I think that's that's frankly probably one of the best ways of of getting kind of up to the minute or up to the day updates on everything that's happening in this space. All right, thank you, Gaurav. Is there anything uh, else you'd like to add? Um, uh, really, just I want to hit home the message that. The decision earlier this month didn't reinstate the net neutrality rules, and of course that is you know, not the outcome that we wanted. But what it did do, like I said, is open the space for lots of local city and state-based activism on get, making sure states pass strong rules like California already has. Um, there is a bill in the Senate called the Save the Net Act to reinstate these rules at the federal level. And frankly, people should think about this in a 2020 context as well. I mean, we all deserve an administration that wants to protect the open Internet um, and, that, and have an FCC that wants to make sure people's rights in this area are respected. So, you know, however 2020 shakes out for your listeners, I think in making sure that's part of the debate is, um, is an important thing as well. Thanks, Gaurav, for being on the show. Thank you, Gaurav, for fighting along with Free Press to help preserve net neutrality and challenging the FCC. Thank you for sharing your platform with us and about the injustice and inequitable access to technology. It is important for everybody to have the right to communicate and connect. Now, we listen to Connection by One Republic. The lyrics of this song are all about trying to connect with others.
friends, hard to find, let's face it. By the perfect home when there's a flood in the basement. Made a couple dollars now, and I'm trying to chase it. Kid from Oklahoma, man, I eat basic. I'm just trying to paint the picture for me. Something I could give a damn about, and maybe 4D is. And I've been ready and willing and able to edit the story. Welcome back to Generation Justice. Now we have some special events coming up in Albuquerque. First up, Indigenous Peoples Day, March and Rally. Emilio, can you give me some more information about it? Definitely. This event is happening tomorrow, Monday, October 14th, from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at downtown Albuquerque, 1st and Central. Siobhan, what is this event about? That's a great question. It's a call to unite against the racist persecution of indigenous and poor people in the U.S. and to oppose ra ICE raids, family separation, and deportation. For more info, you can visit the Facebook page, The Red Nation. What else is going on in the queue? Well, the Cortez Williams Lecture Series features black and brown unity, uncovering and celebrating hidden histories. From Ron Wilkins, professor and photographer. It happens Wednesday, October 23rd at 11.30 a.m. And it's going to be at the Mesa Vista Hall, room 1140 on UNM campus. The Cortez Williams Lecture Series discusses the dynamics and the contemporary issues of African-American culture and identity. For more information, contact UNM Africana Studies at africanastudies.unm.edu or call 505-277-5644. Well, that's it for your weekly calendar. What's up next for the music, Carlos? Next up, we're listening to Freedom by Anthony Hamilton and Elena Pointer. In honor of the events we just announced, which are all about the liberation of people of color. And the fear that the truth had discovered No telling how all this will work out But I've come too far to go back now I am looking for freedom Looking for freedom oh, oh, And to find it Cause we hope you've enjoyed this hour of resistance and civic action. We'd like to thank our guests, Lehua Lopez and Garav Laroya. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Kato Rizumi and Roberta Rael. Tonight's program was engineered by Barbara Ramirez. We'd like to thank our interviewer, Junko Featherson, and our music host, Carlos Martinez. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcast, which is also available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for ways to help support us. 
Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Cone Alma Health Foundation. And of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website by clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word. So stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. I'm Emilio Bovale. And I'm Siobhan Watson. And I'm Carlos Martinez. Our last song of the night are Cool and Soothing. First is E Oh My by Kalihi Rachel, followed by Instant Crush by Daft Punk. I hope you enjoy. Buenas noches, Nuevo Mexico. Good night, New Mexico. Hey, come on, love you.